Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that keeps you apprised of all the hideous happenings that afflict your world. False Flag Weekly News is brought to you by Swindle U, the online university that promises to teach you how to lie, cheat, and steal, charging you sky-high tuition and then absconding with your money. Our other sponsors include the Bill and Melinda Gates Depopulation Fund, the Save the Children for Jeffrey Epstein Foundation, and Black Lives Matter so much that we're going to burn down all the small businesses. We also accept money from the Save the Oligarchs, uh, the World Wildlife Only No Humans Allowed Fund, and the Commission to Exterminate Vaccine Hesitancy. So if you'd like to save us from relying on sponsors like that, please donate to our fundraisers. We are currently $35 short of our $200 that we need for today's show, but I will start the show anyway, relying on the generosity of people like you. So here we go. Today's show, welcome, E. Michael Jones. Hey, good to have you. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. All right. So where do we start? Well, we can start with the uh, the usual disclaimers and things like that. Uh, we question things. Questions can be painful. If you don't want to hear the answers and you don't even want to hear the questions, change the channel. And warning, warning. This is ver- a very uh, disturbing show for some people. And we are not doctors except of things like literature and humanities. So uh, if we write a prescription for you, Whatever you do, don't fill it. Okay, I think we're done with our disclaimers. Where are we here? Okay, medical misinformation. Um, I'm not quite sure where the misinformation is worse these days, the mainstream or the alternative media, but things are looking uh, kind of hairy. So let's get into our first uh, YouTube banned story. So then we'll start the YouTube broadcast. Uh, this stuff is too hot for YouTube. First YouTube banned story. Turns out that Pfizer lied about its key clinical trial they claim that only uh, something like 17 people or 56, 16 people or something died. Actually, 21 people who got the vaccine died and only 17 who didn't get the vaccine died during the six months out of 22,000 people. So what that means, I don't know. But the fact that they're lying about it is almost as disturbing as the fact that there seems to be a slightly significant discrepancy there. What do you think, Mike? Yes, they, they, the longer this goes on, the more the counter evidence mounts against this thing. So it's kind of like a, a race with time right now so that the oligarchs can eliminate the control group, which is basically the people who have natural immunity. Because every day that the control group uh, continues in existence, it's evidence uh, against the vaccine. Uh, uh, and every day that the control group continues to existence, we see the other side of the coin, which is the people who are getting vaccinated are getting sick. And every place that has high vaccination rates also has high uh, disease rates. So that's why this we have this full court press on right now uh, to get uh, everyone vaccinated. Well, you know, Mike, as, as I'm reading the data, there's not really much of it. There's not a, a strong correlation between high vaccination rates and high COVID rates. However, uh, and, and in fact, it still does seem that the vaccinated people, at least for the first five months, get a fair amount of protection from hospitalization and death. However, the other side of the story is that the all-cause mortality, which is what we're talking about with this uh, hidden uh, lied about Pfizer study, that's what's really concerning. And a whole bunch of studies, including a recent one out of the UK, are showing higher all-cause mortality for vaccinated people. And what does that mean? Well, we may find out um, in 2076. That's our next story. 
the <laughs> FOIA request to the FDA for the this uh, Pfizer vaccine data is going to take them 55 years to process. So we'll see it in 2076. And the good news is that at least that'll be a couple of centuries ahead of the JFK assassination records. But the bad news is by then half the planet may be depopulated. I hope I'm exaggerating. What do you think? Uh, yeah, and and I will uh, only be a uh, hundred and uh, what will I be? A hundred and thirty years old at that. And we'll point. still be doing this show with uh, false teeth. Uh, falling yeah. <laughs> so I I I'm, I I can hardly wait. I mean, what's another fifty five years when it's something like this? So uh, <laughs> maybe they should hire more people. Isn't that the way you process these things? Or maybe they don't want to hire more people. Uh, it looks to me as if they want to cover the thing up. You know, they're they're actually a little bit worse, it looks like, with this than even the CIA and those kinds of agencies are. I recently read Nicholas Baker's book, uh, Baseless, My Search for Secrets in the Ruins of the Freedom of Information Act. And Baker describes how finding evidence of these dozens of U.S. germ covert, usually small, relatively small scale U.S. germ warfare attacks on other nations um, is uh, is like, you know, proverbially sort of pulling teeth. Uh, and they, they sometimes cough stuff up, sometimes it takes forever. But here, this, this is completely ridiculous. Uh, I, I think if they want to, everybody to feel secure about how safe and effective the vaccines are, the, the government just declare an emergency and grab all this stuff and just put it on the internet, release it overnight and let everybody look at it. And if there's nothing to hide, then hey, we're okay. But, uh, it sure doesn't look to me like there's nothing to hide. I had one FOIA experience. I was doing a book on Medjugorje, the phony apparition in Bosnia. This hardly seems like a national security uh, issue. I got uh, twenty. I asked every every citation of the CIA involved with the Medjugorje. I got a twenty-page document back, and nineteen uh, and three-quarters pages were blacked out. Oh my goodness! And and, th- and then they sent me a bill for one hundred and fifty dollars. So what's and going so, on? Is, is, is the Virgin Mary like spying uh, for the Russians or something? No, it was. The CIA was involved with Medjugorje because it was part of the war on uh, bringing about the fall of communism. And the, uh, in Bosnia, Bosnia was basically, or was Bosnia-Herzegovina, was the southern version of solidarity in Poland. So they were supporting it. Uh, but then they had the goal to send me a bill for $150, and I stiffed the CIA, and I lived to tell the tale. So I wonder if that whole apparition was a CIA laser light show. Uh, they've done weirder things than that. Uh, boy. Well, uh, more uh, taboo news that we're just not allowed to talk about on YouTube. Uh, well, I guess you can talk about this as long as you don't draw any conclusions. Petra Meyer, 46-year-old, just died of pulmonary embolism. She was uh, NPR's uh, literary specialist. I think I heard her a few times. She sounded nice. Um, you know, may, uh, may Allah protect and forgive her and guide her to uh, paradise. Um, and her senior vice president, Nancy Barnes, said that Petra was NPR through and through. Well, yeah, Nancy, she lived her life for NPR lies, died for NPR lies, and so now she's a martyr to the lies of National Socialist Public Radio because there are a whole lot of young and healthy people, such as all these athletes we see in the videos, keeling over, uh, having been vaccinated. Maybe there's a connection. We need more studies, but I guess we won't know until 2076. Yes, well, she died doing what she loved. Uh, like Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, what, <laughs> I don't think she was doing what Nelson was doing. No, she, <laughs> but he did die doing what he loved. Uh, 
But uh, uh, one of the things that's happened to me over this last period of my life is that I became a rap musician star. Someone took one of my uh, videos where I said, are you willing to die for the gay disco and turned it into a a disco house music? So I guess I'm going to bring out a new version. Are you willing to die for uh, for Pfizer? Okay. Uh, (laughs) This I'll let you know when that hits, when that goes triple platinum. Yeah, I can't wait to dance to that one. Um, so I think I think we're, we can do a totem dance to that one even. But we're at the end of the stuff that is too hot for YouTube. So now I have to blather a little bit as Alan figures out how to push the YouTube button. And now we're on the YouTube portion of the show. Everything that you're allowed to talk about on YouTube, we're allowed to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. We're encouraged to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Everybody's talking about Kyle Rittenhouse. And I guess because the conflict, the, the red versus blue uh, emotions boiling over probably are actually helpful for the oligarchs because we notice these kinds of issues and we don't know that they just stole $10 trillion from us on the back of COVID. Anyway, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is found not guilty. And that strikes me as fairly reasonable. Certainly doesn't strike everybody that way. But, but you know, Mike, I, I just, uh, you're, you're a kind of a literary guy. So we got to mention here, there's a very weird sort of uh, precognitive element in Thomas Pynchon's most famous novel, Gravity's Rainbow, about the Kenosha kid. And and in that book, which you may or may not remember, uh, if you were there uh, in the early 70s reading it, you, you shouldn't remember it. Um, the Kenosha kid was a, was a sodium amytal hallucination of the main character, Slothrop, who was being, having his mind probed by Pisces, which is the psychological intelligence schemes for expediting surrender, uh, housed in the white visitation devoted to psychological warfare. So he's a psychological warfare guy being put into some kind of weird trance or a time travel type of thing. And, uh, and, and he has this whole hallucination about this Kenosha kid. Uh, and it's all about, uh, racial problems, something about racial problems. And, uh, I guess you never did the Kenosha kid. So go back and read Gravity's Rainbow published in like 1970. And right. you've got the Kenosha kid totally predicted for you. Is this, is this a synchronicity? Is this a message from God? What is this? If you're asking me whether Kyle Rittenhouse is a creation of psychological warfare, I'm going to say no. I'm saying it's the exact opposite. This is a roadblock that uh, caused a big bump in the juggernaut here of uh, social engineering. This man, uh, first of all, the the uh, this uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial is the triumph of the rule of law. Uh, it was uh, Tom Paine who said it in America, the law is king. It's all we have. OK, we don't have tradition. We don't have a king. We don't have any of that type of stuff. But we have the rule of law. And I think the rule of law triumphed over here against the lynch mob that was being created outside the very windows by social media. You could see the loose, you know, they were wagging, waving the noose outside the window and it didn't work. That judge stood up for the rule of law and it it worked. It triumphed. And and they still seem to, some of them are still waving the noose. I mean, look at this Yahoo news story, which was picked up from the daily beast and appropriately named a six, six, six revelations kind of news rag. Uh, I mean, look at the language they're using here. If we go back to that slide, the first slide on Rittenhouse here, um, or maybe that, yeah, that one, uh, the notorious gun-toting white teenager in, the, in their first yeah, sentence. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is, wait a minute. You're editorializing here. The guy was acquitted. Why are you talking that way? Well, because you're part of the lynch mob. Yahoo is one of the leaders of the lynch mob here. 
And so now there's talk of uh, we're going to, the government's going to get involved with the lynch mob and Merrick Garland's going to try him again or something like that. He never heard of double jeopardy, apparently. So is Rittenhouse on trial for being notorious, for toting a gun, for being white, or for being a teenager? I'm not sure, but I guess the Daily Beast can explain to us. Um, and so he, he was facing like life in prison or something and then acquitted on all charges and uh, everybody's going bananas about it. And if we go to the next slide, I think that's the Kyle Rittenhouse murder or self-defense video uh, put up by Matt Orfale. And if people want to judge for themselves whether this looks like a self-defense kind of situation, actually watching this video is probably the best thing you can do. Because unlike the mainstream media, this is pretty objective and factual and exhaustive in analyzing all of the video angles, um, except the ones that the prosecution withheld or the, the clear video they withheld. And, yeah, Mike, I, I agree. Under the rule of law, this looks like self-defense. You could say, we wish this guy hadn't been out there with a gun and so on and so forth. But in uh, I, I don't know. If that isn't self-defense, I don't know what would be. No, if you watch that video, you'll see uh, Mr. Grosskreutz uh, engage in a war crime. He engaged in false surrender. His uh, The guy with the skateboard just got shot. He's dead. And then uh, Grosskreutz raises his arms in a surrender gesture. Then he reaches behind him and pulls out a gun. Uh, and at that point, Kyle uh, Rittenhouse shot him in the arm. And after that, he went to the uh, hospital and evidently tweeted to one of his friends uh, that he wanted to empty the entire magazine of that gun into the body of Kyle Rittenhouse. Well, that was uh, that sounds like self-defense to me. And I don't see how you're going to portray it as anything else. So I think I think this D.A. was out of his depth. I think the real D.A., the top guy, understood that this was not going to work. The D.A. who tried the case was the fall guy. Uh, but he didn't know that he was the fall guy. He thought he was F. Lee Bailey. He thought he was going to be the, ne the most famous lawyer in the country until the judicial system, the judge slapped him down and the judicial system applied the rule of law. And now it's over. Sorry. Well, one thing I would add to that analysis is that I think there was a sort of a tragic element there in which the first shooting then might have led these other guys to think that Rittenhouse was, you know, some crazy active shooter type, you know, killer rather than understanding that what he had done was self-defense. There was no reason why they would have really known that that first shooting was self-defense. So they thought they had some crazy killer on their hands and that might be partly why they went after him. So there's, it's conceivable that these people shouldn't be as villainized as some of them are in the right wing media. I think what we're talking about is a mob. We're talking about a mob and the frenzy in which the mob can degenerate, into which the mob can degenerate. And that's why so they were out for blood. I think it's uh, this is my interpretation. Well, yeah, from his perspective, absolutely. Yeah. From, you from know, the, the one guy uh, who uh, I forget his name now hits him over the head with a skateboard and then he gets he gets shot. And then uh, Grosskreutz moves in with a, a, a weapon. He's got a weapon in his pants behind him, engages in false surrender and gets shot in the arm. And then he testifies and damns himself with his own testimony. So this is an uphill battle. Uh, the spin machine broke down here. The lynch mob had to go home. Well, for, for, yeah, and, and also the media has not uh, explained that there was arguably vigilantism, which they claim was Kyle Rittenhouse's crime, on both sides. Because these, if, if you want to give these two guys the benefit of the doubt, the guys that you know chased him, hit him with a skateboard, pulled a gun on him, 
they were acting like vigilantes too, because they thought that he had killed somebody, which he had, but they didn't know it was self-defense. They thought he was just a murderer. So then they uh, went vigilante on him in a really stupid way. So, uh, but of course the media won't say that either. It's been no. all super, it's been ridiculously one-sided yeah, and, and the liberal mainstream establishment media has been worse than Fox News and so on. Uh, so that's getting to be par for the course these days. Well, the next slide uh, takes us into this issue of how it's also supposedly racially charged when, in fact, everybody involved was white. Uh, virtually, you know, hardly, virtually no uh, black involvement in this incident whatsoever. But it's supposed to be all about uh, black people. Uh, and so all, all African-Americans should get the day off for these next couple of days, according to Gregory McKelvey, vice chairman of the Oregon Democrats Black Caucus. Um, this whole business of it being all about race, uh, I guess it's because these were Black Lives Matter protests that then turned into riots and created this whole situation. But still, I don't see why um, it's about race, really, and I don't see why black people need to get the day off or would even want to. Uh, race is usually, if not always, a cover for what, the real identity of what is going on here. So it's always there's always an element of identity theft going on here. And that brings us to Antifa. OK, Antifa is a Jewish organization. The people that were attacking him were Jewish. Though The question is, are Jews white? Are Jews white or is white used to cover over what is the real uh, ethnic component of, of this or of, of this uh, battle, this conflict? That's I think that's what's going on here with the black white stuff. Well, there are some leftists and liberals uh, who are getting this right, in my opinion. One of them is Glenn Greenwald, who's been getting a lot of things right for a long time. He points out in the next piece, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, Project Veritas, and the inability to think in terms of principles, that the way it has been reported has been totally along tribal lines designed to stir people up and to make them believe they're in one tribe or the other. And again, in this particular case, it seems like the, the left has been worse, uh, considerably worse than the right. Uh, and Project Veritas is under a similar kind of uh, microscope and being uh, misportrayed by the dominant so-called liberal media. And Glenn Greenwell, I think, gets this right, that in both of these cases, uh, in, including this case where all the mainstream journalists say that Veritas is not real journalism because they're not corporate owned. Uh, this is, is uh, really pretty disgusting. These lynch mobs are being led by uh, supposed liberals and you know, human rights advocates, civil liberties uh, people of the left who are now completely uh, opposed to those principles and are, are not even thinking in terms of principles anymore. They're just thinking in terms of which tribe you identify with and all the other guys uh, can go to hell. Well, the tribe was involved here. I mean, <laughs> the ADL yeah. issued a statement uh, about how this was all white supremacists. And in their statement, they put Antifa in quotes. What's that supposed to mean? Is that Antifa some figment of the white supremacist imagination, or is there actual an actual category of reality here? Yeah, this typography. About? Typography is where they put quotes around Antifa. They capitalize the B in black, and they have a small W in white. What well, what's this all about? Is this <laughs> making well, I, amends I, I, for centuries of racism through typography? 
I think what they're what it's about is that they're trying to disguise the fact that Antifa is now and has always been a Jewish organization. And you've got these Jews like Rosenbaum, who had just been released from a mental hospital the day before and seemed to have had some type of suicidal wish involved in what he was doing. Uh, these are the people that burned down Kenosha and then they came back for revenge uh, you know, a- after it, but with this uh, lynch mob that they're orchestrating to deflect us, to dis- distract us from the fact that Antifa is a Jewish organization and the ADL is running interference for this Jewish terrorist group. So what you're saying is instead of putting Antifa in quotes, they should put it in like three brackets on each side. Uh, is that if, if, you, if you read the Jewish press, you'll like Jerusalem Post something. They will run articles like how proud we are that Antifa fought fascism during World War Two. And they're really the good guys in this whole thing. That's the take that the Jewish press has on. It. So the ADL is now trying to pretend, oh, they don't they don't even exist. If you say Antifa, it's clear that you're an anti-Semite and you're part of this white supremacist conspiracy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I can't completely disagree with all of that. Uh, but the mainstream media may be out to lunch and covering all these things from ridiculously biased, uh, partial, non-objective perspectives a million times worse than they used to be. And they were bad enough back in the day, but they've gotten completely over the top now. But every once in a while, they do something laudable. And uh, here's a great example. Newsweek published Why I'm Not Vaccinated, a pretty well-argued piece pointing out that given the data, it's clear that the vaccine is a personal health benefit, if it's a benefit, uh, not a public health benefit. So there shouldn't be so much pressure on people to go along with the mob of lemmings. Um, I thought this was unusually good for something in Newsweek. How do you explain this? Are, are they trying to get uh, find a way out of this problem here? Is that what they're trying to do? Because they're going to they I don't think they have an exit strategy. This is part of the problem. Now we have Austria going in full, full uh, frontal lockdown. We're, we're, we're almost to that story. Okay. But, I mean, I think that this may be part of uh, they're trying to prepare some type of exit strategy and say, yeah, we were all for free speech all along and we stood up, blah, blah, blah. I think that's what's going on here. Well, it's going to be a heck of an exit strategy they're going to have to come up with if they're going to reverse this. If this, this, uh, if it does turn out that there are these really bad uh, health drawbacks to uh, these vaccinations, if it turns out that the spike protein is as toxic as some people are starting to suspect that it is, uh, turning that Titanic around before it hits the iceberg is is really going to be something. And I don't know if a, <laughs> a few articles like this are going to do it, but uh, we'll we'll see. You know, we've we've seen. Uh, you know, we were at war with Oceania. We've always been at war with Oceania, even though we were at war with East Asia last year. So who knows what they could pull off. Um, well, yeah, let's get into those mandates and lockdown stories, Mike, uh, starting with the uh, OSHA story. Um, the mainstream media won't tell you that there is no vaccine mandate. It's been suspended. Uh, November 12th ruling by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, prevents them from enforcing this uh, pending adequate judicial review. And so nobody's mandated to do anything and the corporations can't force you to do anything. But most people don't know it because it isn't being reported. Yeah, well, once again, we have the the law coming to our rescue here. This is this is a test of the American system. 
uh, as I said, Tom Paine was right. In America, the law is king. That's all we have. And if the, the adults in the legal profession, uh, if the judges, the adult judges that up there don't stand up at this point, that will be the end of the American experiment. That will be the end. This is the last ditch. That's all we have here. It's got to be the law. If it's not going to be the law, if you're going to subvert the law, then you're opening the door to armed insurrection. It's that simple. And I think the adults in the room know that. Yeah, the law uh, may save America, but it's not saving Austria right now. Uh, the great nation of Austria, Adolf Hitler's birth- birthplace, um, is now locking down not just the unvaccinated. Now they're going to make it compulsory. So they'll lock you down. You can't leave your apartment. And then they're going to kick in the door and stick a needle in you like Alan Dershowitz wants them to do to us. Well, looks that way. I just interviewed Jimmy Walter who fled uh, Florida after he was given these uh, draconian threats for being a philanthropist supporting the 9-11 truth movement in 2005. He he had to flee the country, settled in Vienna. Now he might have to flee Vienna to settle back in Florida, which is uh, doing a lot better than Austria is. So, Mike, do you think Austria is really going to mandate vaccination uh, and and bring Dershowitz in to grab people and stick needles in them? Well, you have to look at the whole history of that the German-speaking people after World War II, they were subjected to the most ruthless form and most sophisticated form of social engineering in human history. And that set them up for this moment where they are basically, uh, you accepted all of that type of stuff all the way from the end of the war. You were almost starved to death by the Morgenthau plan. You had that wave of pornography sweeping through the country, this Catholic country. And and you don't stand up then, you don't stand up then, and suddenly you're faced with the, the stormtroopers locking you in your house or the video I saw of them going through department stores and uh, your papers, please. You know, that that that's the problem. That's the problem. You have this cumulative effect of all of the social engineering culminating in the the final act of social engineering, which is masquerading as medicine. And the people who didn't stand up before are now defenseless. It's getting crazy enough that a lot of us are working on escape plans. So I, I originally was supposed to sort of disappear from this country if it ever got really bad. And uh, I left word that if the uh, authorities came around asking where I was, they would say, oh, he, I think he went to Austria. Or was it Australia? Well, that's not going to work anymore because both Austria and Australia are a million times worse even than here. So uh, I guess I'll just have to stay here and keep doing false flag weekly news. Uh, but I'm not going to join the Navy. In our next slide, we see the Navy is even more draconian than Austria. The vaccine refusers have less than a week to get shot or face discharge or maybe even get shot with something worse than a vaccine needle. I don't know. Um, the Navy apparently hasn't uh, approved any religious exemptions now for at least seven years, no exemptions for anything. And by the way, speaking of religious exemptions, Mike, uh, my good friend Martin Hill reminded me that uh, he, he thought that the way you talked about religious exemptions on the previous show we did was misleading because, in fact, uh, Catholics and everybody else can get religious exemptions. Lots and lots of people, including lots and lots of Catholics and people I know, uh, Catholics I know, are indeed succeeding in getting religious exemptions, even though the church hierarchy doesn't support it, uh, but it, it won't work in the Navy. The, the, first of all, if I gave the impression 
uh, th- that was a false impression. The Catholic, we have a problem here, communication problem, where the Pope is saying it's an act of charity and urging everyone, and then the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith comes out with a statement, the official statement, and says, you are not allowed to coerce the conscience of people. Catholics, you cannot coerce their conscience. If they form their conscience and say that they do not want to take this, that I understand the medical consequences, then you have to honor their conscience. That is the official Catholic position. That's the position that's been taken. And as a result, I think that the Catholics can stand up to it. So if I gave the impression based on my depressing uh, report on the Pope, it's not true. All of the bishops have come out in favor of conscience, honoring conscience, and therefore will grant exemptions along those lines. Okay. Well, I've been taking Islamic religious exemptions on vaccines. My whole family has uh, pretty much since I've had a family. So it works for Islam, too, even though Al-Azhar may not be on board. Uh, but will it work for Santa Claus? Um, Tesco, this uh, European supermarket giant, has gotten boycotted because they've run an ad with Santa uh, having to get through checkpoints with a vaccine passport to deliver Christmas presents. This is this is uh, like, you know, happy Orwellian Christmas here, isn't it? Yeah. And I have uh, a direct line of contact with Santa Claus. Uh, and uh, I got a message from the North Pole and said that Santa Claus is now in the hospital because he has clots from taking the, the vaccine. Oh, man. So, so, you know, so forget your mainstream news media. I have a, on a much better source and Santa Claus is not coming to your house. He knows whether you've been naughty or nice and he can't come down anyway because he's in the hospital at the North Pole. Well, I understand that, that Rudolph's uh, bright red nose is coming from clots and an embolism or something like that, too. I guess they stuck a needle in him, too. That's okay. right. <laughs> Let's move on to the censorship news. Uh, how about this NIH director, Francis Collins? Um, he says, conspiracies are winning here. Truth is losing. No, sorry, Francis. The quote-unquote conspiracy theories are turning out to be true. They are the truth, and that's what's winning. Um, so anyway, the NIH, National Institute of Hellfire, is threatening to smack us with a plastic COVID ball if we keep spreading what he calls misinformation, what I would call asking good questions and bringing to light information that isn't being highlighted in the mainstream. Uh, but he'd probably like to shut us down right now. And for all I know, he's got a little COVID plastic ball drone that's flying towards me even as we speak. Well, it shows that they're, they've, they've lost the propaganda battle. I, I don't know where the numbers have stalled. Uh, Dr. McCullough said that, uh, the people stopped getting vaccinated in April uh, of this year and that the numbers stalled at around 50%. Uh, this is crucial, as I said, because this uh, means that there is a control group. And those people who did not get vaccinated are not getting sick and natural immunity is protecting them in a way that the, the virus is not protecting them. And so I think that the, that word is getting out and these people are getting desperate. That's why they keep talking about criminal proceedings. To, uh, the, the head of Borla, uh, I'm sorry, the head of Pfizer, Mr. Borla, has announced that uh, anyone who doesn't get vaccinated and engage talks about why they're not getting vaccinated should be treated like a criminal. Mm-hmm. A, a criminal. Well, the, the, Mr. Borla, you just lost the argument. Once you have to get the Cheka involved in, in policing the people, that means you lost the argument. So that's a good sign. Well, I would hope they'd give us jury trials so we could uh, you know, put up a, a Kyle Rittenhouse defense or something of our right to free speech. I mean, I think uh, if we can't defend our own viewpoints, uh, now, then if uh, the First we, Amendment's we, dead. 
we can put two and two together here. So you have lots of people with lots, many guns. You have the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, getting off on self-defense. If they want to come into your house, if they come to your house and want to inject you, there's going to be, they're going to be shot. I, I don't, I'm not arg, I'm not encouraging that. I'm saying that is a simple fact of life. If they press it too far, they're going to create violence and a violent reaction. And they're really trying to shut down any alternative viewpoint. It's, they're not succeeding so far, but that's not for want of trying. In our next slide, we see the New York Times article uh, blasting podcasts and radio that feature quote unquote misleading COVID-19 talk. So if you don't completely subscribe to this person's interpretation, this New York Times writer, then anything you say is quote unquote misleading and it should be shut down. Shut down everybody who doesn't say precisely what I say, who doesn't believe precisely what I believe, who doesn't interpret uh, information precisely the way I do. And the big target here is Rick Wiles who is one of these uh, Christian broadcasters who's done a lot of really good work. I, I heard from Ron Unz that his uh, documentary on the USS Liberty is brilliant. And I think Rick Wiles has taken a lot of flack because he exposes the Zionists, which is uh, you know, requires more courage than most uh, right-wing types have. Anyway, uh, they, just, they really go after Wiles saying that, that uh, look, he's on Spotify, he's on Apple. These big companies are helping this guy make a living. We've got to make sure that you can't make a living if you say anything that we disagree with. We're going to bankrupt you and drive you in, into in, onto the streets and make you a pauper, all because you disagreed with us. And when they yeah. have to say that, again, that proves that they don't have any arguments. And all in the name of tolerance, too. These are the tolerance crowd who are yeah. talking this way. I think that Rick, I think, is a, a recovering Christian Zionist. I think he was one of that persuasion and now has become aware of the whole uh, other side of that story. And I think that's why there's maybe, a maybe great culture wars. To, uh, well, I mean, we've we've talked together. So it's, he knows who I am. I know who he is. And I'm saying that this consciousness is now spreading. And uh, the new Yukas uh, from The New York Times is not going to stop it. It's not going to stop it. And all The New York Times does when they do, uh, uh, bring about is they look weak and hypocritical, like they're going to ban. Stop. Stop listening to that. Other people pay attention. This is the New York Times. We are the paper of record. Pay attention. And speaking of bankrupting people you disagree with, how about Alex Jones? I mean, he actually had some money to take away, unlike most of us in the alternative media. Now, uh, Connecticut Superior Court Judge Barbara Bellis has ruled that Alex Jones has engaged in willful noncompliance with discovery procedures in a Sandy Hook-related lawsuit. So he's lost. They're going to come and try and steal all of his male enhancement supplements and the money he makes off them. But Alex, uh, with the hair on his chest, is going to probably put up a pretty good fight. Um, still, try, trying to shut people up by bankrupting them is just wrong. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, you have to be careful when you when you make statements. Uh, and we live in an age where people can just walk up to a microphone and start shouting, which is probably not the best way to approach uh, a number of issue, uh, issues, serious, complicated issues. So I'm grateful for the fact that I got started 40 years ago. This will be our 40th anniversary for the magazine, for Culture Wars magazine uh, in print. And it was a monthly magazine. And you basically had to write something. You had to think it through. You had to do research. And you publish something in print once a month. Uh, we're doing, you know, we, we are a reflection of the age now. We're talking, giving instant commentary pretty much about something that happened yesterday. 
you know, that type of thing. But there are dangers involved with that. And, and you just have to be careful. You do, but you're having to be careful about the wrong things these days. Like we can't talk about any of the medical issues here on YouTube. And, and that's, that's just ridiculous. And what that means is that we are in the authoritarian state and who would know better than I, why, 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 I don't know precisely how you pronounce his name, but he's a famous Chinese dissident who's been lionized in the mainstream media for bashing China. And now he points out that the U.S. woke culture is unified by a certain political correctness. You think you're purified by certain ideas that you agree with. And this is all uh, an authoritarian state. We're actually living in an authoritarian state. We don't even realize it. And suddenly the mainstream is not keeping awards on him anymore. Oh, he, he reminds me of Solzhenitsyn. You know, you could uh, when Solzhenitsyn gave that speech at Harvard in 1978, he destroyed his own career over here. And then he went back to Vermont and nobody heard of him after that. And then he went back to Russia and he was demonized toward the end of his life. Uh, the final nail in Solzhenitsyn's coffin when he wrote uh, 200 years together uh, about the, the history of the Jews in uh, in Russia, uh, which was uh, 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 this is a Nobel laureate who can't get his book translated into English uh, because uh, the head of the, uh, um, uh, who's that guy in Los Angeles, the Holocaust Institute, told the New York publishers not to, pu not to publish it. So what you're dealing with here is, again, this type of hypocritical double standard. And somebody wakes up and suddenly he's not the, uh, the dissident du jour anymore if he starts talking about a subtler form of uh, political control. Well, we're, we're living more and more of a, a kind of a medical dictatorship, but it could get worse if something like COVID even worse broke out. And what could be worse than a new smallpox epidemic? Well, the FBI and the CDC are investigating these vials labeled smallpox that were found in a freezer at the Merck facility outside Philadelphia. Oh, whatever the few old people who are still vaccinated against smallpox are uh, so old and and that would have the immunity would have waned so much that there's basically nobody that's immune to smallpox anymore there's been no disease there's been no vaccinations for so long if that gets out uh we're in serious trouble and all the bio where people know this and, and play games around it but I, i'm not exactly reassured by the fact that these companies are just leaving vials of smallpox laying around no i i, I was uh, in for, in maryland I met this uh, young lady uh, from Africa who told me that she was a university professor. So I said, well, what university do you teach at? And she said, Fort Detrick. I said, wait a minute, that's not a university. That's biological warfare. No, no, it isn't. So then we went back and forth. And then she said, well, I have to go to bed. Uh, I'm getting up early in the morning. I, I have to get my uh, a flight. I said, where are you going? I said, she said, Uganda. I said, well, what are you going to do there? She says, I'm going to pick ticks off of cow's ears and bring them back. Well, why, wait a minute. That sounds like biological warfare to me. Uh, oh, no, it's not. That's not what it is. Uh, well, I said, well, what, suppose the tick gets out of your little vial and bites the guy on the seat next to you. That can never happen, she said. Well, uh, 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 you mean that you never have accidents at Fort Detrick? Well, actually, last week we had an intern who didn't follow protocol. This is outrageous. These are things that could uh, kill millions of people. And why are we pursuing this? Well, because the, the United States is committed to biological warfare. And so what maybe it was intentional, maybe COVID was intentional, but there's good evidence that it was a bioweapon created by funded by Fauci, created in China. And it got out either by accident or by intention. And now it's caused trillions of dollars of damage. 
and people have died, and who's being held accountable? Well, you know, that sounds like the kind of so-called conspiracy theory that we might find out is true in a few decades. Uh, and speaking of uh, conspiracy theories turning out to be true, how about the Malcolm X conspiracy theory that said that the guys that they busted for that were actually set up and the whole thing was really orchestrated by the, well, NYPD, FBI, U.S. intelligence types. And uh, we haven't got the full truth yet, but we're getting there, including this uh, posthumous exoneration of the patsies. Well, what we need is a, an examination of uh, these uh, assassinations, a systematic examination, because Mal Malcolm X was the beginning. We have 1968, which is the year of assassination. Obviously, we're, I'm talking about beginning with John F. Kennedy, his assassination. And then in 68, we have Robert Kennedy being assassinated. We have Martin Luther King being assassinated. And now among Catholic circles, it turns out that there's a strong case that Thomas Merton was assassinated. Uh, so when are we going to have some type of systematic investigation? Maybe let's bring in Patton as well. Did he really die in a hospital? What about the Forrestal jumping out the window? What about all of these things? Is there, is there some link that connects all these things? And if there is, who's going to be held responsible? Well, we, we find out that, you know, conspiracy theories turned out to be true. It happens all the time. We can hardly keep track of so many. And one of them is that there's such a thing as COINTELPRO, which infiltrates movements and demonstrations and often incites violence as a way of making the protesters look bad, finding ways to, to get set them up. And some people think that happened on January 6th at the Capitol. Well, it may be happening in Kenosha. Somebody may have left a pile of bricks uh, in an alley in Kenosha. And we've seen all of these stories about piles of bricks left wherever BLM demonstrations are expected. But last I heard, it didn't sound like anybody in Kenosha was picking up bricks and, and smashing windows. So maybe people are getting too smart for COINTELPRO. Well, the classic uh, example was the, uh, the uh, attack on the Black Panthers in Chicago which uh, that they made a movie out of that. There was a black guy who got turned and he showed up and because his skin was black, they invited him in and he was privy to all of their organization. Uh, the, the point here is that once you have a, a category like COINTELPRO, this organizes the data in a way that uh, would not be possible without that category. So the question is, how are we going to proceed here? Are we going to proceed by putting connecting the dots or are we going to be prohibited? by doing uh by by being called conspiracy theorists or something like that well i'm not prohibited by name callers i'm going to talk about what i want to talk about and they can call me whatever they want and they're probably going to call me something about this next story because i do have some uh, listeners and viewers who are more on sort of the left liberal agnostic atheist side of some of these religious culture wars but i'm going to have to say that uh, 12 weeks paid free vacation for city employees to have an abortion in Catholic Boston strikes me as uh, a little extreme. How about you, Mike? Yeah, well, what, what are we talking about? 12 weeks for what? It used to be called maternity leave. And now we have another, uh, first of all, so tw what's maternity leave for? Well, so that the mother can bond with the child so she can start breastfeeding, get the child used to breastfeeding and so on and so forth at this crucial moment in the child's life. We have another abuse of this thing with our illustrious Department, Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, who ordered a child, got a child through human trafficking. OK, and he's on maternity leave, except that he's calling it some something else uh, while the uh, supply chain crisis is going on. 
And so he was called on that. And then all of the media uh, pundits come out and defend him. No, we have to call it what is what it is by name. It's called maternity leave. Maternity leave, maternity leave means the mother bonds with the infant. The infant has to have those crucial early months of of uh, breast milk. A uh, colostrum creates uh, immunity for the infant. That's the purpose of this. <laughs> Abortion is the type opposite. Why do you need 12 weeks to think about the fact that you murdered your child? You don't need 12 weeks to do that. That's probably a bad idea, to be honest with you, for these guilt-ridden parent mothers who have killed their own children to sit around with nothing to do and think about, I killed my child. Bad idea, even from their point of view. Well, the Quran and the literature, the research, all suggest that it shouldn't be just 12 weeks maternity leave. It should be two years. That's about the right term for breastfeeding. And we know from the studies of Bowlby and his school that children do much better as far as being peaceful and emotionally centered if they're basically never put down for their first two years and breastfed on demand night and day. They should be sleeping with the mother right beside the mother and breastfed on demand for two years. If you don't do that, uh, your kid is going to be neurotic. It's that simple. Um, but the, the other argument here, Mike, is that this deal, have an abortion, get a free paid 12-week vacation, is actually sexist because it discriminates against us men who can't have abortions. I mean, not even the transgenders say that men can be made capable of having abortions. Can't do it. Well, maybe they do. Maybe the transgenders are claiming that they need to have fetuses implanted into themselves that can then be aborted so they too can have abortions and take advantage of the paid 12-week vacation. This whole whole, uh, gender subject in today's United States is so out of control, I can't stand it anymore. We're going to move on to Q Shaman. Hey, another another out-of-control subject. Q Shaman sentenced to three years in jail for trespassing in a colorful costume. Uh, The sentence was issued by U.S. District Judge Royce Lamberth in Washington, D.C., uh, so be careful uh, who you follow into the Capitol. Make sure it's a real tour guide and not one of these faux geeds like the ones that will lead you to the wrong back alley in places like Fez, Morocco. This is a classic instance of propaganda. Okay, so you have an actual incident. You have an actual incident of people going into the Capitol. But what's the label? What category of the mind are you going to impose on this? Now, those people there thought they had a right to assemble uh, they were led into the building by agent provocateurs, and then suddenly the label that gets put on them is insurrection, and then they should uh, be taken out and shot or something like that. Well, we're not going to do that, so we'll give them four years in jail. This is clearly propaganda. It's clearly a show trial. It's clear, it was clearly orchestrated from the beginning. Yeah, it kind of looks like that to me, too. Well, but how, how about the election fraud that was being protested? It turns out that there was a, a fraudulent claim of fraud over in Nevada where Donald Kirk Harty of Clark County, Nevada, allegedly uh, claimed that his wife, Rosemary, had somehow voted even though she died in 2017. Well, it turns out, yeah, she voted because he was the one who cast her ballot. Um, so this is being touted by the media as proof that the Republican claims of voter fraud are, in fact, fraudulent. Yeah, and to distract us from the fact that there's probably evidence for real voter fraud, which put Biden into office. So this is once again misdirection here on the part of the media, who, uh, who is the docile lapdog of the oligarchs who have made certain decisions, who want certain people in power. That's simple. 
Well, they want certain people in power, but I'm not sure they always care all that much about who gets elected because the same folks pretty much run the show no matter who's in power, and the same folks run the national security apparatus the same way and keep marching us all towards war the same way. And the biggest war threat right now, some people think, is a potential war with China. Well, Biden and Xi are supposedly negotiating on uh, arms control issues there is a sticking point, which is that the U.S. and, to some extent, Russia have huge piles of nuclear weapons, enough to blow the world up multiple times, perhaps multiple dozens of times, whereas China only has enough to blow the world up once. And so China thinks that they should be allowed to catch up and at least be able to blow the world up seven or eight times if the U.S. can blow up the world dozens of times, which strikes me as reasonable. I don't know if that's the right word. I, I think the whole issue of nuclear weapons is irrelevant here. I think that basically the, the Chinese have... Uh, created missile technology that has made the aircraft carrier obsolete. The Chinese have missiles that can reach 1,200 miles into the Pacific, the, the range of an aircraft carrier 600 miles. That has always been the standard for naval battle. If you have the battleship that with the bigger gun, you can fire your shell 26 miles and the other ship can't, can only fire 13 miles. And so you win the battle. It's that, that simple. This battle can be decided without nuclear weapons whatsoever. And I think it has been decided. The no, nuclear, uh, the military technology has changed. The tank is obsolete. That was the main vehicle uh, in World War II. Uh, and the air aircraft carrier was the other main vehicle in World War II, and they're both obsolete because of missiles, whether they have nuclear tips on them or not. Well, you know what really won World War II, Mike, was the incredible uh, economy of the United States, which and and we won it for Russia too. Actually, it was lend-lease that was basically vast piles of American money and weapons that allowed Russia to defeat Germany. So. The winner of the next big war will probably be the country with the strongest economy and the most productivity. And I don't think that's us anymore. Uh, here's a story from RT showing that China is now the world's richest country. Their net worth has increased from seven trillion in 2000 to 120 trillion in 2020, a massive 17 fold increase while the U.S. net worth has declined or relative decline down to 90 trillion. So it's uh, currently 120 trillion to 90 trillion. The Chinese are ahead. So if there's another world war, one would expect that their productive capacity and wealth would be enough to uh, win it for them. And uh, that's, I don't know if, if the people who offsourced uh, American productive capacity to China were thinking about that. But in the next slide, we see Michael Hudson, who I just interviewed, said, well, yeah, they knew it. They just didn't care because they knew that by the time that it had any consequences, they themselves would either be uh, old and living in luxury or dead. So they just handed the world over to China uh, without a second thought. Uh, uh, are we really run by people that sort of short-sighted and selfish? Yes. Yes, of course we are. What did John Maynard Keynes say? In the long run, we're all dead. Well, they know that, that the Wall Street uh, crowd knew that in the 1980s. That's when this orgy of leverage buyouts began, where they basically loaded down American manufacturers with unrepayable debt, only to watch these companies go belly up because they were going to outsource to China and they were going to make a killing between then and the time they died. OK, uh, and that that's their horizon. So, yes, what what you see here is the perverse and my, Hudson understands this, uh, the perverse uh, affirmation of the fact that labor is the source of all value. 
and that the only alternative to labor in this fallen world is usury. And the battle in America has always been between labor, uh, the Midwest, Henry Ford, manufacturing, and usury, which is Wall Street uh, and all, all of those people. Well, uh, uh, the first blow was the defeat of America first, the embarkation onto the road of empire. And this is the only culmination. These people cannibalized the greatest manufacturing power in the country for short-term gain. And now someone else is going to pay the price because they're all going to go off and live happily uh, their lives in wherever it is on the Hamptons or Miami Beach. And then they'll drop dead and their descendants, our descendants, will pay the price. And Hudson's analysis really does uh, get to the heart of how this works, both in terms of Wall Street exploiting uh, its own people and also exploiting other countries as well. That The Pax Americana since World War II has been based on the covert uh, ripoff of forcing countries to pay tribute. They don't even realize in many cases they're paying tribute, but the way the, the dollar system is set up, they essentially force other countries to park their assets in dollars and float the dollar to a much higher value than it should have, which means the U.S. can use all that extra money to buy huge piles of weapons and build military bases all over the planet. So that's the super imperialism process that happens globally. And these same Wall Street banksters are using the same kind of usurious uh, covert theft to rob their own people blind as well. And that robbery has accelerated into the stratosphere under COVID. So Michael Hudson, I think, is one of the key thinkers that people should get to know. Um, it's, it's amazing stuff. And then he, he doesn't really address the question that you specialize in, Mike, which is, uh, well, who owns Wall Street in the terms of is, are there nepotistic uh, ethnic interests involved? And uh, mm-hmm. Mike Stathis, the chief investment strategist of AVA Investment Analysis, was basically run out of Wall Street on a rail for telling us that, yeah, there's kind of an ethnic mafia on Wall Street. And I don't know, are we allowed to say uh, which ethnic group that would be, Mike? Must be the Eskimos, right? Yes. Uh, there's a, a story of uh, Henry Ford on his deathbed. And uh, he, the reporter says, what do you think about the Ford Motor Company going public, which means going to Wall Street and IPO, something like that? And Henry Ford lifts himself up on one elbow and says, I'll tear this building down brick by brick before I let the Jews take over this company. So that was probably the last guy who could talk about the real ethnic reality of what was going on in this country, which is basically that uh, Wall, the Jews have always been involved in usury from time immemorial, and that's how they got their wealth. And what you saw over this period of time was the systematic erosion of laws preventing usury. Uh, the biggest blow came under Paul Folker when the Fed is offering uh, money, uh, T-bills at 20 percent. Uh, and you have to pay that if you're borrowing money. And you're that's usurious. There are all states. The state of Texas was created because of usury, because of the furnishing merchants in the old south who showed up after the Civil War. All, uh, Jews as well. The Solomon brothers made their wealth in the south as furnishing merchants. And then they went to Wall Street. So we really have to talk about the the ethnic uh, uh, hidden grammar here, if we want to make any sense about what's going on. Well, Mike Stathis, in this article, which was reposted by Peter Myers, uh, points out that if you put up a list of the former World Bank and IMF presidents, 
the chairman of the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, the presidents of the 12 Federal Reserve District Banks, the directors of the Federal Reserve Regional Banks, a complete list of SEC chairmen and commissioners, and then you could go on and on to all these other positions at the top of various presidential administrations, you see, in, in many cases, basically nothing but uh, people of Jewish ethnicity. Now, the uh, what, what is this uh, this, this particular uh, Jewish publication? I don't, this isn't the forward. The J the JC dot com tells us that the Rothschilds conspiracy theories are false. Well, maybe they are. Although I see a couple of Rothschild banks being part owners of the Federal Reserve. Uh, however, I don't think that they succeeded in debunking the notion that the two percent of the American population is Jewish is grotesquely overrepresented at the very top levels of finance. No, this is preposterous to say that there is some type of conspiracy theory about the Rothschilds, the Rothschilds. They, Nathan uh, basically bet the, uh, the farm on the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. He made out like a bandit. And then for the rest of the 19th century, the Rothschild family lent money to the English aristocracy that loved building big houses in the country. And so by the end of the century, they were all in debt to the Jews. And the most famous example of the family is the Churchill family, who Randolph Churchill ended up owing Natty Rothschild 70,000 pounds, which was real money back then. And so the, the cover story is that Natty was magnanimous in forgiving the debt. But no, he it wasn't that. He had captured captured Winston Churchill, who became a pawn of Jewish interest for his entire life. And every time he got out of control and couldn't pay back his debt, some Jew like uh, Sir Harry Strakosh would come in and bail him out. That's why uh, we, the whole 20th century, if you're talking about the malignant influence of Winston Churchill, you're really talking about the hidden hand of the Jews and the Jewish predator. Well, the, the uh, JC attempt to debunk the so-called conspiracy theories is posted here. People can look at the, uh, the, the article claiming, uh, Jewish overrepresentation in finance. They can read the attempt to debunk the conspiracy theory. They can decide what they think themselves. And they can also look at your work, Mike. You've done all kinds of work on this as well. But moving on to Zionism related news, a report in the Times of Israel claims that Hezbollah was plotting to murder an Israeli spy in, uh, was it Colombia to avenge the murder of General Soleimani, who was murdered ostensibly by Americans, but at the behest of Israelis, Personally, I would say a million Israelis wouldn't be worth a clipping from General Soleimani's toenail. Um, and then this article goes into the 1994 Jewish center bombing in Buenos Aires, which Adrian Salbucci, a journalist uh, from there, has exposed as a false flag orchestrated by Israel itself. So all sorts of, uh, of nefarious doings there. And spe speaking of nefarious doings, how about Jack Ruby? This week in history, we're approaching the 22nd of November, JFK Day. And in honor of that, uh, Lauren Guyanot just posted this article, Jack Ruby of Israel's smoking gun, pointing out that Jacob Rubenstein, who silenced Lee Harvey Oswald forever, was working for Mickey Cohen, the mobster who was the biggest single fundraiser in the history of Israel. Uh, the whole thing stinks. And the fact that the mainstream media, much even the alternative media in the JFK community haven't covered this stuff, that stinks too. So are you telling me it wasn't a lone deranged gunman? <laughs> uh, yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald told us he was a patsy, and I'm pretty sure that he was telling the truth. They've even run those voice and analysis programs that tell us that he was telling the truth when he said he was just a patsy. So the secret is whenever you uh, make sure you kill the guy, uh, you, it's better when the police kill him. 
But you have to kill the guy because otherwise you can't, you're going to have a trial and evidence can come out in a trial that will damage your case. So we're, uh, the classic example recently was, uh, Osama bin Laden. If this country really believed in the rule of law, why didn't they bring Osama bin Laden back for a trial? Why didn't they do that? Well, because information would have come out that was probably damaging to the official narrative. So that's why. That's why you have to kill the people. That's why that's the role that Ruby played in this thing, because unfortunately, from their point of view, uh, the police didn't kill Lee Harvey Oswald. That's that would be the classic way of doing this. This happens over and over and over again. There was the Harehausen case, the head of the the Deutsche Bank. uh, um, He gets murdered uh, after he announced he's going to forgive loans. Uh, and then, uh, they have to find someone to, uh, and so it turns out it's the Bader-Meinhof gang that did it. Now, wait a minute. This is the eighties, the Bader-Meinhof gang. They all committed suicide in the seventies. Well, this is a patsy. You got to find a patsy that's going to take the rap, a fall guy for basically what is an intelligence operation. And in so many cases, these post 9-11 false flags, uh, whether in London or Paris or Brussels or what have you, the uh, vast majority of the patsies end up uh, getting killed very conveniently. The, the best patsy is a dead patsy. So that's our, our false flags in history. Story number one. Story number two is about the Manila false flag operation, the shelling of Manila, Finland, that launched the Winter War. That was the beginning of World War II in Europe as uh, the USSR invaded Finland and the Finns put up kind of heroic resistance, massively outgunned. They uh, were just way better fighters. And this false flag didn't really work because the Russian soldiers who attacked Finland uh, were had very low morale. They didn't believe the propaganda the Bolsheviks were feeding them. So this is one of those little bits of uh, history that most people don't know about, even those of us who specialize in false flags. Yeah, it also brings up uh, the, uh, is it Suvorov's book, uh, Icebreaker, which mm-hmm. uh, it yeah. says basically that Stalin was poised for an a- attack, an offensive attack on Europe. He's going yeah, to yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a new Europe. book by history professor Sean McMeekin actually reinforces that thesis. Uh, it's called Stalin's War, and I interviewed him on my radio show recently. Uh, very, very uh, strong case that Stalin was about to invade Germany when Hitler preemptively invaded Russia. And this, this in many ways explains the success that the German army had because those, t- every, everything was geared toward, uh, offense and nothing, uh, toward defense. So the German army cut through it like a, a hot knife through butter, uh, all the way up to Leningrad and Stalingrad. But wait a minute, World War II revisionism. Are we allowed to talk about that? Uh, not some places, but hopefully still on YouTube. All right, we're, we're just about at the, we're a little past the end of the hour. We have a couple more stories here, but these are just odds and ends stories. So, so what are they here? Okay. Uh, the master DoorDash driver wore a face diaper, but, um, and, uh, apparently the, the security camera caught the DoorDash food delivery driver, um, delivering something other than food, uh, on the floor of the, uh, apartment building. And then the DoorDash uh, tweeted back, you know, when the when the person complained, sorry, Nancy, the actions of the Dasher were completely uncalled for. What do you mean uncalled for? They were totally called for by the call of nature. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to order these food delivery services uh, products because you might get more products than you bargained for. That's right. Who knows? Who knows? Better not to. Okay. And then uh, next uh, weird uh, story for our odds and ends section, Mike Tyson died tripping on psychedelic toad venom and it changed his life. Um, he found that death was beautiful. He died before he died. Uh, the Sufis call this fana and they recommend it. It's a good, it's good to die before you die. The Sufis say, and I guess Mike says that too. 
He says, the toad has taught me that I'm not going to be here forever. Well, if it took the toad to remind him of the reality of death, I don't know, Mike was a little slow. He took one too many punches, but <laughs> the toad finally reminded him. <laughs> yeah, God bless the toad. God, God bless, bless the, toad. the toad. And and why would you think the toad venom would be something good for you? Don't you didn't you read the label here? <laughs> hey, this isn't just any toad though. This is uh, Bufo alfamarius, the Sonoran desert toad, and uh, and this article does remind us that his venom can be smoked. So, uh, but we're not going to write a prescription for that for you because that would be medical misinformation. We're not medical doctors, nor are we Timothy Leary. We're just a couple of guys commenting on the news. And finally, one last news story to comment on: uh, a dramatic. National intelligence shift has occurred. Our intelligence agencies are starting to tell us that the UFOs are real and they do carry aliens from outer space. <laughs> uh, they haven't landed on the White House lawn yet, but the mainstream media is sounding like they're going to anytime. So uh, this, I don't know quite what to make of this. I do think there's something very strange going on with the UFO phenomenon. I'm not sure what it is. And I'm not sure they're going to tell us the truth now after lying to us for decades and decades. What do you think, Mike? I think you should watch Independence Day, which is the movie about how the Jew and the Negro saved America from aliens. I think that's the best explanation of what's going on here. Okay. Well, if the aliens do land on the White House lawn this week, uh, the place to learn about what really happened is False Flag Weekly News. Thank you so much, E. Michael Jones. It's always great to do the show with you, and I really respect your work at Culture Wars and in your many uh, voluminous and learned books. Uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Mike. Thanks to our viewers and supporters. That's a wrap. See you all next week.